Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane, and we are so glad that you could join us for Happy Hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 194 in the year 2024. This is our first podcast of the new year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. What are the odds? 94 and 24. (laughs) (sighs) But I'm feeling really good uh, about the new year, about the holidays. I'm certain you all had, you know, some kind of, I was going to say a good holiday, but not all holidays are good. I'm sure you all had some kind of holiday. Yeah, Christmas brings out a lot of emotions. For some people, it's the worst time of the year. I think it's the, uh, you know, the biggest time for depression Oh, and joy. Absolutely. It's a so weird, weird holiday. With that in mind, actually, Shane, I want to ask, what do you think is the best and worst part of the, you know, Christmas season holidays, but with kids? Well, watching the kids, you know, if you celebrate Christmas, watching them open presents. Oh, yeah. I would think that's the best. You get to relive your childhood. Um, They get to be distracted with their toys. You kind of feel less guilty about giving them things like iPads or video games because you feel like it's a time to decompress. You also feel like that was something when you were young that you got to just veg out a little bit. Getting bored, allowing yourself to get bored. Well not get bored just constantly be stimulated i would mm-hmm. say the opposite the the worst part was the kids tend to get bored they yeah. they cycle through everything so fast because they have so many things and sometimes when you have so many gifts so many um things to play with you just you you go through each thing in 10 minutes mm-hmm. and you're like i'm bored i'm bored and then they think it's their right to not be bored and i always tell our kids nothing's wrong with being bored what is wrong with being bored yeah. That's will, fine. I'm boredom is better than being stressed out of your mind. Yeah, it it comes from overstimulation, I think. Overstimulation and then just the excitement of Christmas and like mm-hmm. you said always having something to do and then if 10 minutes happens where there's nothing to do, Lucy'll be sitting on the couch upside down being like, oh, "I'm bored. What can we do today that's fun?" <laughs> and it's like everything has been fun for every second this holiday. Well, kids think that's a big trump card. It's like, yeah. "I'm bored." It's like, good. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not scared if you're bored. Be bored. And it's so easy to right after Christmas because then as a parent, you can just rattle off literally three million things that they can go and do. Go play with your new Furby, your new puzzle, your new building blocks, your new Lego, your new whatever. Go read, go paint, go draw. And then you have the easiest answers to everything. And then they can't ever come up with a better reason other than just, well, yeah. go somewhere with me. The Furby was their best friend for about a day and a half. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen, I don't know where those Furbies have gone. Well, you know what? I had them. I actually took them out of a backpack today that we had packed for the cottage. Okay. So they were just out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. But now they're back. They're out of the bag. And yeah, Shane, I think you nailed it with the, you know, watching your kids, like watching your kids, you know, open mm-hmm. presents and everything. That's one aspect of seeing Christmas out of their eyes, which I love. Like there's nothing more rewarding than coming down on Christmas morning and like you and I sitting there and drinking our coffees or whatever and watching the kids go absolutely ape. And it's funny because you see uh, memes a lot and it's like, have you seen that one? It's uh, Mel Gibson and he's got his like perm and he's smoking a cigarette. It's the most popular meme (laughs) for the last four years. (laughs) It's like 80s moms on Christmas morning and Mel Gibson just has a look of like smug pride on his face as he's smoking a cigarette and it looks, that's how I felt on Christmas morning. I felt like that Mel Gibson meme. I will see. I wondered if that resonated with people who have moms who don't smoke. Because I have a mom who smoked and who smoked in the house (laughs) and who had 
bigger hair like that. Right. So I was wondering, oh, okay, so I wonder if this works for Alex. And it, it does. It, it's a transcending meme. It's the vibe. But did you not feel that as a parent, like this Christmas? Yeah. Like I may as well have had that cigarette and that perm because well, I just felt like that. If you meet an adult who believes in magic, it's a little unsettling. <laughs> but when it's a kid who is in that pocket where they actually believe in magic, <laughs> it's so good. It's hey, like there's nothing better. To be honest, I believe in the magic that we create. And I think magic is so, but I, I think. But I mean, true mysticism, magical magic, not in like. It's magical to see her eyes light up. I mean, true magic. I don't even know, Shane. I'm agnostic on that. I don't know if I do or don't. Mysteries well, of the world, babe. Yeah, I believe there could be something like something we can't even comprehend. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking like Santa coming down through a chimney <laughs> inexplicably, reindeer, like at, like Lucy told the classic lie, which is that she oh, saw yeah. Santa. She she was so excited about this one too. And she told us both on Christmas morning she saw the sleigh. Yeah, which is, you know, an adorable <laughs> lie. <laughs> or just her brain playing tricks on her. Like she looks because we have a, a moon window. What do you call those? A moonlight? Yeah. Like well, a yeah, skylight window kind of going down our staircase. And I know that Lucy pops out sometimes, like look at the stars. So maybe she fooled herself. Maybe she saw something in the sky and was like, that's it. That's the sleigh and mm -hmm. believed it. Like, I don't know. I think she believes it enough that she could trick herself into doing that. Yes. Um, so what's the worst or best part? Well, worst I just want to say like continuing on the best part, like the gifts are just one thing. But then I think the other part of it is just the Christmas traditions through their eyes, like the big family dinners, the playing with cousins, the playing with aunts and uncles, that kind of thing is so fun for me to watch because I remember that as a kid and it was always my favorite. Like I loved the big family stuff as yes. a kid. It was just so much fun. And like Lucy started gaining her courage this Christmas and in front of your mom's family, she was putting on all these concerts and like in earnest, getting everybody to give her attention and then standing there and really, really singing yeah. songs she was making up off the top of her head about like the beauty of snowflakes. And it was very esoteric and amazing. And she'd make them rhyme and mm -hmm. she was taking herself and the concert so seriously. Well, it and I was, love that. I do think she is the Wayne Brady for our generation. She was really <laughs> on the spot coming up with yeah. lyrics that made sense, concepts that were, you know, beautiful. And I was blown away and proud that my old, because I used to have a rap career. <laughs> so I'm thinking, oh, is this my genetics taking over that she can just rhyme on the spot like this? It, I think it might be because I can't do that. My dad's better at it. If my dad can, I can't. It, puts me under a lot of stress were you a concert kid like as a kid before the rap career what, define concert kid like would you make your family gather around and put on concerts because me and my best friends would force our parents to watch our concerts yeah all the time. like alex and i would do puppet shows or sorry wait, alex. My, i keep calling everybody alex i keep calling lucy alex my sister alex um but okay so my sister Tiffany and I would put on puppet shows and much like Lucy, she has a bit of this, which is a classic Cunningham trait, is you get all excited to do it and then the second you're supposed to perform flop sweat and you just back <laughs> out and you freeze. So I was a big person who'd want to gather the family to do something, perform, and then just stand there 
and then say, never mind. Mm -hmm. And do you think you still have performance anxiety at all? Like if I was to say, hey, Shaney, spit us a rap about the new year. Could you do that? Well, there would be comfort in the fact that I'm, this can be edited. There'd be nervous in the fact that I'm not editing it. Do you uh, need a bead? Okay, try a bead. I'll try it. Okay, this is a new year. We're going to eat different. We're going to start seeing clear. We're going to begin with no fear. Like my favorite t-shirt. I just lost my friend. His name was Bert. (laughs) That's true. That's true. And I love you too. Not just Alex, but I'm talking about the band. Because I love Bono. I say yes to the ho, ho, ho. We celebrate Christmas. In this household, we believe in Santa. Because he brings the gifts. But we bring the cheer. We also bring the beer. We got really bloated. And now we're making it right. That doesn't rhyme, but that's all right. (laughs) That's my rhyme. Thank you for your time. So, So bringing up an older friend who had passed recently, I don't know if that is good to do in a freestyle, but in a freestyle, you're really grasping at straws. So I did lose my dear friend, Bert, who for many years was my closest friend in the world. I met him when I was 22 and he was 64 Mm -hmm. and you know i'm 40 now and so i believe he was 81 82 and he just passed from complications for parkinson's so that was a more of a tribute than uh just uh i guess you know an insult or something hey i I think when it comes to freestyle if i know anything about yeah freestyle not only are you grasping for straws but you're also reaching in to your heart yeah and trying to find things that uh, to speak to you. Yes. But tribute to Bert. Here's to Bert. Yeah, Bert Raising was the coffee. coolest guy. Changed my life. Gave me a career in television. Because when I was 22, all my friends, they were in college or in bands or doing something. I was not a high school graduate. Had no girlfriend, no job, no driver's license. And he basically just changed my life by helping me be in short films. He taught me how to drive a stick shift. Which is very difficult. If you've never driven and your first car you drive is a stick shift, that is almost, un- that's magical. And and Bert's, I mean, that's got to come from place of him just like knowing that a stick shift is a cool thing to know how to do. It's like, if he's somebody- European, he doesn't, he thinks automatic is for people who are like uh, toddlers. He, <laughs> he doesn't think a grown man wouldn't want to drive a stick shift. Well, that's the thing, right? He's putting you into like what a man should know kind of thing. Just a and person, like man, woman, anything. He just thinks, oh, like Bert started driving when he was five. Bert was a race car driver. <laughs> Bert did everything. So for him, it's like, you're a grown up. You drive a stick shift. Mm-hmm. At least know it. And yeah. then drive an automatic or whatever. But Bert, when he was teaching me, what was fascinating about him is I crashed my car essentially into his car. I, I hopped a curb and smashed it into his brand new Jeep because Bert bought me my stick shift car. I gave him the money for it. Right. But I didn't know how to even procure a vehicle. So I gave him 3500 bucks, which might have been a ripoff because <laughs> this car was kind of a piece of shit. It was a 94 <laughs> Ford Escort. And then so Bert teaches me, but I smashed it into his car <laughs> and Bert just laughed. That's you know, incredible. whereas my parents parenting style would be more to like, I don't know, give me the belt or yell at me <laughs> or something. That was just like fear was a big motivator for my parents kind of the way they taught me something so i was very appreciative of mm. bert's 
method of teaching, which was, <laughs> Shane, you're one crazy son of a bitch. And he was Dutch, so he had that that fun accent. It's funny because when you and I first started dating, you know, obviously when you meet somebody, you're about to go out with them for the first time. You want to look them up, make sure they're not a total weirdo, sketch bag, whatever. So I do a deep dive after my first date with Shane. And I like, didn't know that. I looked at everything that he's ever put out, right? Because he's got a lot of stuff on YouTube. I went through every single photo on his Instagram, like just every last piece Obsessing of- Obsessing <laughs> over me. I had to mm. know what you were like and kind of make, because I liked you so much. Yeah. So I was like, ah, like, is this, I don't want to sign myself up for this. Like I like him mm. so much and then get burned or like get freaked out and disappointed because he's some weird dude. So I watched every single video that I could find that you did, uh -huh. right? Within the first like- 24 hours and then my parents on their own did the exact same thing to also make sure you were a creep yeah so they could actually probably relate to me here but i kind of got to know you in a sense like apart from you mm -hmm. and kind of form my ideas about you around bert <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean because all those early videos that i was watching in that first 48 hours after our first date he was a part of so much. So everything yeah. I saw had him. So when I first started dating you, I had this big idea of like just Bert in your life and just a really hilarious part of you because, you know, Shane started his acting career too. And then Bert went on to like work for MTV and stuff. It was wild. Yeah. Bert let me meet Quentin Tarantino because we entered this uh, <laughs> and Glorious Bastards was coming out. So MTV in Canada had a contest where Quentin Tarantino was coming to the studio and they wanted to see people spoof some of Tarantino's famous films. So Bert and I did Pulp Fiction. I was... Uh, no, I wasn't even in it. I just directed it. My <laughs> friend played John Travolta and uh, Bert played, of course, Samuel L. Jackson. Of course. And a lot of people were like, is Bert in blackface? He was not. Bert was just a tanned man, a tan European man. But he did have a wig on to look like Samuel L. Jackson. And MTV saw this video. They go, listen, this video is hilarious, <laughs> but it's not winning our competition. It's just too silly. But we want you to come down and be in the studio. We're giving you a dressing room beside Tarantino and come down. Well, they put our names That's on the crazy. dressing room That's and everything. Wild. And uh, they sat in the audience. And with Tarantino, they talked about our video and cut to us in the audience. Oh, my God. And then Bert was like, they didn't even ask Bert to do this, but Bert dressed as Samuel L. Jackson <laughs> that day. And he's sitting in the audience dressed as Samuel. <laughs> Obviously, MTV finds this hilarious. And then they hired Bert for the next two months to always just appear as Samuel L. Jackson at random points within the show. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. See, and so Bert had such a big presence. And again, like I kind of got to know him through those mm -hmm. early videos as I was getting to know you. And then later on, we actually went to his house twice. Yeah. And I got to meet him. He got to meet Lucy. Which yeah, was we went really on special. his, uh, Bert, uh, Bert really loved his uh, gardening. Uh, he mm -hmm. lived in like a condo building and he loved his, what's it called? When you go on the, the his veranda, veranda, like his veranda. Porch, yeah. yeah, he loved all of his plants and uh, uh, he eventually had to go to a home because he got Parkinson's, mm -hmm. him and his wife moved to a home. Uh, but yeah, I'm so glad he got to meet Lucy. He got to meet you. And uh, he also appeared in a, a Netflix documentary called Delivery where he does right. stand up comedy. So what a guy who kind of like, you know, they, your life is in mm -hmm. chapters. Bert's last chapter was jam-packed from 65 no to 81. Like, And I don't even want to say he did more in that period than the first part because he did so much in mm -hmm. his life. And 
he had 10 siblings. Uh, there's one living left now, but uh, back, this was 15 years ago, we actually tracked down one of his estranged siblings. Is like, he couldn't find him. We went on a three-day mission to find okay. him. And we found this guy in a, in a bar. And they just met. <laughs> they just met for like, we, we spent forever trying to find this man. <laughs> And we just find his name was like not Esteban. He had a weird name. <laughs> Esteban would make no sense, but it was weird. No, Dutch man. I, I remember like this doesn't seem like a name I would think. But anyway, he met him. He's like, hey, nice scene. <laughs> How are you? Things good. Bert gave him some money. And then they just separated. And, and I get in the car and I'm just like, that was it? And he's like, yeah. And it was like, that was enough. And it was so realistic because mm -hmm. if it was a movie, There'd be a moment, there'd be a speech, yeah. there'd be tears, but it felt like a um, Alexander Payne film who okay. did uh, Nebraska. Yeah. It felt like I was Will Forte and, uh, you know, Burt was Bruce Stern and mm -hmm. it was that movie. Nebraska, not Alaska. But anyway, yeah, I thought that was such a cool moment that that was enough for Burt. He just mm -hmm. wanted to see him, hand him some money, move on. And yeah, now there's just one surviving Van Leer up sibling left. Man, out of the ten. Out of the 10, yeah. Oh, I think it, uh, you know, you think of friendships with older people and it, I think that at a distance, sometimes it looks, it just doesn't make any sense. It just mm -hmm. might not make sense. But I think there's so much value in those kinds of relationships um, and friendships. Yeah. And like, I think about my grandparents, like two of my grandparents were just, they were just grandparents, right? It mm -hmm. was just like very much a grandparenty relationship. Weren't that close, but we're pretty close. Um, but just that kind of vibe. But then my one grandparent, my Babcha, she was like the friend also. And she was like more than a grandparent. She was uh, one of my caregivers, but also just like a best friend. And you learn so much from somebody who has just seen it all, who has lived a life, like yeah. decades more than you. Because there is so much wisdom. They're, they've tried everything. Like they've done, they've made so many more mistakes than you. They've mm -hmm. had so many more successes than you. And they just have so much to offer that you couldn't even imagine. Yeah, You know what I mean? And I think those kinds of friendships and or, or I just think they're so valuable. And whether it's at work and you have like an older coworker that you like to talk mm -hmm. to, anything like that, I just think that their perspective and that their take on things is always worth listening to. And I think people, like, and I'm, I'm saying young people, but people even our age and we're yeah. middle-aged, uh, as I read, 35 is the start of middle age. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting deep in there. <laughs> but, you know, we're young in comparison. But I think people are so quick to kind of brush off advice from older people or just not even advice, just takes perspectives, whatever, just being like, oh, well, they're old, whatever. And I just think there's so much value in it. Yeah. And Bert didn't seem like some old, old guy, although he looked older when he was 64. He probably looked like he mm -hmm. was just a cool 70. Um, but he he taught me a lot of things and I taught him a lot of things. Yeah. So it was kind of like me and your relationship, Alex, where mm -hmm. sometimes you're my mom, <laughs> sometimes I'm your dad, and sometimes we're best friends. So Bert would teach me how to drive. I would teach him. Bert was curious on how to work out. Right. So I taught him how to work out. Bert got way better working out than I did. Bert had like an eight pack. Oh, he, he was fit. He was he so got fit. so fit. Like everything he did, he was he got very good at very yeah. quick. And he also uh, taught me how to like, if you say you're going to do something, mm -hmm. follow through with it like a maniac. So sometimes when uh, we're, we're doing, you know, something like this podcast or your Instagram account, 
I'm kind of on you the way Bert was on me mm-hmm. about finishing like a film project, being meticulous with something, being psychotically into something to the point where it's undeniably good. Yeah. And, you know, often you fail or you miss the mark, but just having that mentality helps you succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm like that a little bit is because of Bert. Like when I when I met him, I'm like, oh, going to make a short film, I think. He's like, no, we're going to make it. It needs to be perfect. Uh, I'm going to be the police. Every little detail mattered to Bert. Yeah. Uh, every thing he did, he, he marked down in a journal, like a tangible mm-hmm. journal. And he was the head of construction. And sometimes people would like try to pull one over on Bert. And Bert's like, no, I took photos of it. I, I took a written document. I filmed it. You could not get anything by Bert. And people would try. They would underestimate him because he was old. But he was so meticulous. And that was a huge takeaway mm-hmm. from Bert. And obviously, I was able to teach Bert a lot about film, acting, comedy, why things mm-hmm. are funny. And Bert was so more than willing to learn. So you've got a little uh, everlasting Dutch decisiveness. And mm. what's like an act, like taking things down action? What, what would you call that? What's like... I don't know. Being persistent. <laughs> persistent. Yeah, persistence, perfectionism. I uh, love it. Whatever. But yeah, that's a, a big section on Bert coming from a rap. Was not expecting You know that. what? I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. I didn't have that written down in my uh, show guide today. Yeah, sorry. But uh, I like that. No, because I, th- I think that that touched on so much. I think it touches on the emotions that people feel over the holidays and how holidays can be bittersweet, you know, happiness mm-hmm. and sad, all of that wrapped in one. And doesn't make it bad necessarily. It just makes it emotional. Touched mm-hmm. on friendship, got a rap in. Yeah, what else good. do you have on your little list there? Well, you know what? I say we move on to the questions. And I Let's think, judging by the questions, I think we can fit in everything that I had in my show notes in, into some of the questions that I got. Okay. So now we are going to move on to the mailbag segment. This is where Alex takes you, yes, you, the listener, your questions, answers them. And then I'm just here along for the ride. And if I can answer something, so be it. We've got a lot of Alex and Shane-centered questions. So I think uh, I think you'll be in here a lot, Shane. But the first question I have for the mailbag segment. What is your honest review on keto? Does it make feeding the whole family trickier, especially with picky kids? So we didn't mention, mention this in the top, but Shane and I, New Year knew us. We are doing keto. Shane is getting ready for a show that he's filming at the end of the month in which he's got to wear a crop top and booty shorts, which I'm quite excited to see myself. And then I'm just in it for the ride. And I, I've read that, you know, it might be helpful for autoimmune diseases. So I'm going to see if it does anything for my inflammation, any of my pains with lupus. And I'm just really excited to kind of get into it. What day are we on right now? Day eight. Okay, so we're day eight on keto. We're doing it for a month and we're both in ketosis. We bought pee strips. We're peeing on the strips to check our levels and everything. We're doing it Bert style. Yeah, we are doing it Bert (laughs) style. We are not letting anything to chance. Like we are recording absolutely everything like our intake to make sure that we're doing it like perfect according to like every perfect keto graph that there is because we're only doing it for a month. So I don't want to do it for a month and flub it up, Mm -hmm. you know, or not see what it can actually do. But in terms of it, is it easy? And then we'll get to our reviews. But does it make feeding the whole family, family trickier, especially with picky kids? The nice thing about the way we're doing keto is we're eating so many whole foods that meal prep for Shane and I for our keto meals is 
pretty easy. It's like the things like the snacky things that we eat throughout the week. Like I make these uh, cheesecake fat bombs and stuff that we eat. Those take a little longer. But for actual meals, it's not that bad. Everything's pretty quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's great. So that is actually, it's taking, it sounds funny, but it's actually taking less off my plate than when I was feeding. You mean taking more off your plate? Yeah, sorry. It's taking more off my plate than when I, like before Christmas, when I was doing, when we were doing HelloFresh, good food or just regular meal prep and I'd be doing like a 40 minute dinner for the family because the kids stuff is easy. They eat whole foods like i you know maybe boil up some broccoli and carrots and then a protein like a fish or a chicken or something they eat that and then shane and i are eating our thing and meal prep is not that bad now well it's uh it's an aptitude and i feel like you have that aptitude you're inherited from your mom you didn't think Mm. you were a cook but i do think you are a bit of a chef in the kitchen because you get excited about it i think that's the definition you love it you love endlessly researching it and it it keeps you up at night looking up recipes (laughs) it's it's like a video game for you and i think you're definitely by the time you're like 60 i think you'll be a full-blown lorna which is your mom's name well how do you you've been liking what i've been making so this course and like lorna makes you know she i don't think she's ever missed no her worst thing might have been a seven yeah but everything else is like 10 10 and that's similar to you. I, I rarely dislike something you made. Mm-hmm. Uh, and s- specifically with the keto thing, because now I'm making, the only thing is I'm cooking way more because everything's like fresh. Yeah. But um, it's it's still pretty easy and I am having a blast doing it. But those fat bombs, Shane, like last night I made peanut butter cheesecake fat bombs and raspberry cheesecake fat it's bombs. the best things in the world. Like, can we keep eating these after keto? They don't have many calories. I think so. Yeah, they're, they're terrific. They're amazing. Um... But yeah, so it doesn't make everything trickier. Like I gave Lucy keto bread in her lunch today only because we didn't have real bread. But the keto bread is amazing. Like it tastes- You wouldn't notice. You'd think, oh, I'm going to notice keto bread. But maybe it's because I'm so indoctrinated in the system I don't notice. No. But I swear I wouldn't notice. I would never notice. It tastes amazing. Like the kind we got, it's called, it's from a Carbonaut. And it's multi-grain seeded bread without gluten so you can eat it if you're gluten-free mm-hmm. so if you're a gluten-free listener and have crohn's or something get carbonate bread because it is phenomenal um the butter is way better than normal butter too oh i'm buying us like nice butter i'm spending a stupid amount of money on butter because we are eating it like you just the things we're eating it in you taste it so much more because it's kind of like raw like i'm putting it a huge portion of it in uncooked foods right yeah so it's it's like real good butter. So the what was the question again? I just want to make sure so we're answering. Is feeding the whole family trickier? No. no. Okay. And also honest review of it. So Shane, eight days in, what's your review at this point? We'll do it again, you know, maybe down mm-hmm. the line. Well, it is a diet like anything is where you're sticking to a uh, regime. But it's an easy, it's the easiest diet I've ever been on because, mm-hmm. you know, no one wants to be hungry when they're on a diet, but you always kind of have to be because you're restricting mm-hmm. yourself. This one... You're not hungry. Yeah. You're eating maybe more food than you would otherwise. So your stomach's full. It, it feels good to do. It feels mm-hmm. rewarding. And if you combine it with exercise, the benefits are really there because it's burning a lot of fat for me, which is what I need because I'm like an actor right now. Yeah. Like I, my, my whole life I wasn't an actor, but in the next month I'm going to be an actor and I'm playing 
a man working at a male Hooters. <laughs> and it's, a beefcake. It's very effective because yeah. I was maximum density at the holidays. Mm-hmm. And then in eight days, I'm back to better than what I need to be. Well, you know, one of the things that I'm most shocked in it and love the most is that, so we did November and December, ate so much garbage and it felt so good. Like we were having so much fun. We were drinking, we were just snacking all the time, eating treats. It was so much fun. But then by the end, I was like, all right, I'm done with this. And we cut sugar out on a snap and I have not even noticed that we have because we've just come up with like awesome substitutions, Mm -hmm. like the cheesecake balls and everything like that. And like Shane said, never hungry. So I don't like I've never dieted like before our wedding. We did intermittent fasting together, but I've never dieted aside from that. And I don't feel like I'm dieting now because I am eating more like I'm forcing myself to have three meals a day. And I before I was skipping breakfast all the time. And I think that not skipping breakfast and eating protein like an egg on toast for breakfast is giving me so much energy in the day. It's amazing. Yes. Next question is also keto related. Curious about doing a diet in front of kids and how you don't model a dieting mindset. So I think everybody knows, or if you don't, I can tell you, you shouldn't talk about weight or dieting in front of your kids because study after study has shown that it does impact them negatively. That being said, we don't talk about it like as a weight loss thing. We don't talk about it as a diet thing in front of the kids. I think if they ask, you know, why we're eating something different, it's just we're nourishing our body differently right now or tonight or this month, whatever it is. And you don't need to get into numbers. You don't need to get into reasons. You don't need to get into anything else. And you just like Mm -hmm. they don't see us. We're eating, like I said, probably more than we were before. It's not a restrictive diet, too. So this isn't like they're eating dinner and we're sitting there with one pea and a carrot. And they're like, (laughs) why aren't you eating a lot of food? We have just as much food. Yeah. Their, their main question, and this is a question for the last year, is why don't you eat the same yeah. food that we're eating for dinner? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, there's this food for children and there's food for adults. So we're eating our meal, which is typically a little bit more food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's the only question they have. But this diet is not restricting at all. So to call it a diet is just the clear cut definition of diet. It's not the, the way people use colloquially yeah. the term diet. This is a lot of food. Mm -hmm. It's more like something like the Mediterranean diet or something like that, where it's just what you're eating. Like the term diet just encompasses what it is that you're eating. Right. But the Mediterranean diet, and I I don't know anything about anything, but I feel like is more restrictive. No, I I believe that it's just about eating lots of fats, like olive oil fats, um, fish, things like that. And then fresh veggies like tomatoes, cucumber, you know what I mean? Cheeses, goat cheeses. But fish. A lot of fish. Yeah, that's what I mean. Because that's what you eat in the Mediterranean. I know, but I'm saying that's more restrictive to a person who doesn't eat fish. Restrictive only in the sense that if you don't like seafood, but not restricted if you like seafood because you're not like limiting how much I'm just talking restrictive (laughs) in the way I normally eat. Okay. spend my life where Lucy would notice if I had a trout on the, you know. So guy who hates fish, fish so much is downing an entire can of tuna every day which is i keep telling him it's chicken listeners i keep telling shane that tuna is canned tuna is the most fishy of all the fish and i want him to have some like trout i want you to have a little chicken of the sea have you ever watched uh what was that show jessica Simpson? yeah chicken of the sea she got tricked and thought it was actually chicken uh, probably because it was mixed with so much mayo and you don't eat it with mayo. You just eat it as it is. Shane, if you can eat a can of tuna, you can eat other fish. I can't. I've done it. I've, I've ate 
a can of tuna every day for three years when I was young. I know. I'm just saying, I'm going to make you salmon at some point while we're doing keto. Next question. Already nervous about the next family holiday and scheduling. Somebody is always upset. How do you guys manage? I think you have several sets of parents between you guys, right? We do. We've got uh, three sets of parents, six parents total. Yep. So it, it does get stressful a little bit. I think at the beginning of our relationship, not so much anymore because things are set now. But I remember in the first year or two, I had a little bit of anxiety about it because I always loved doing uh, holidays with my family so much. And like, even though, so it'd be like Christmas Eve, we do it with my family and my dad's family. It's just one other family of two cousins and aunt and uncle. And then we do the same thing with them on Christmas day. And then sometimes we'd see them again two days later. And it was just always dinners with the same like 10 people, but I loved it so much. And I was like, oh my God, how am I ever going to take away one of these dinners with the exact same people and be okay with it? And I remember that it was actually pretty hard for me, but it was only hard for the first year. And then after that, I was like, no, this is good. I can do this. And it's been great ever since. So yeah, you were very weird about it. Yeah, I was I remember nervous. thinking, oh, this woman is strange about <laughs> Christmas. Like, she's not willing to play ball at all. <laughs> but it's out of way now. So we do, because Christmas Eve is huge for Polish people, Slavic people, I think, in general. So we do Christmas Eve at my mom's house, which is when we have, like, no meat, a lot of Polish is food. Is it not your dad's house, too? In my dad's house. I was just thinking my mom's house because she does the the cooking. But my mom and my dad's house. And well, then, John's listening right now. He might be like, hmm. Well, he's, he is the host with the most. And he is getting everybody drinks, keeping the conversation flowing. He does a lot too, but it's just different. Uh, and then we have your dad and stepmom, Roseanne. They come and do dinner with us that night. And then we still get that whole Polish party feel. And it's awesome. And then we get your family, we get my family, everybody coming together. And when I realized that we could do your dad and Roseanne on the same night as we do like my family dinner, Mm -hmm. like this is the best thing ever. Like it's so much fun. And then they all get to get closer too. And that's kind of nice. Then in the morning we go to, we do like our little family thing here, go to my mom's for breakfast. And then we go to Shane's mom and stepdad's house for the afternoon and evening and for dinner and with his family. And that's awesome. And then Lucy's got a little cousin over there that's her age. And it's like, it's a total blast. So we got it worked out. I don't think anybody gets upset anymore now that it's like set. I think it's only ever in that trans- transitory time. Change is tough. Yeah. How do you think? Would, would you have any advice for somebody who doesn't know how to handle that? Like Plan it out. Talk to your partner. One partner might be a little bit uh, weird. <laughs> I came around. Yeah, and just, you know, agree to something that you're actually going to agree to. Don't Mm -hmm. agree to something and then be passive aggressive about it. Because I found Alex, just to throw a complaint in here, was a little bit like begrudgingly doing something. And that's Mm -hmm. no way to do anything. Either do it happily or figure out a solution that will lead to happiness. So maybe that was eight years ago. But have I begrudged anything in the last seven years? In that well, regard. I think it was two or three years. It took, oh, good idea. If we're doing the stupid voice. Uh, all right, next question. Uh, glad to see you guys are finally, in capital letters, reading. We've been talking mm-hmm. about this for a long time on the podcast, about our desire to get into reading. Like, this might be a two-year journey. Who, who's been waiting for us to read this long? Do I know this person? <laughs> no, it's somebody who I haven't really seen. Like, it wasn't a name that ever Finally registered. Finally in caps? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. How illiterate do we come I across? Feel like, I feel like this is somebody who's been... Li- it might be like a first-time writer in or even. 
And I feel like it's somebody that's just been listening and has been wanting us to enjoy books. Maybe they're a reader. And then they just, yeah. this is their first time they felt compelled. Yeah, right now, mostly reading scripts, but it is still reading and it is still a challenge for my brain. It's very, very, very hard for me to read. I would say in life, I'm a little bit on extra hard mode when it comes mm -hmm. to reading a book, but I am doing it. Yeah, and I'm having a blast. It was the uh, romantic fantasies that got me in. The good fantasy world building books with a little hint of romance. Never read a romance before. Hint of romance. The, some of these <sighs> passages are like, you know, please beep this, Erica. But it's like, I it was so but he, he and it was it's like these books are not romance. These are highly sexualized uh, pornos. No. Okay. All right. Listen. If you've read the uh, A Court of Thorns and Roses series, the first four books, it's it, it, nothing is that explicit. Nothing is that explicit. And it is, everything is romantic. And then in the last book in the series, Court of Silver Flames is from a different character's perspective, Nesta and Cassian. And it does get really explicit, but it does also speak to the characters because she's trying to suppress her emotions because she's been through a lot of trauma and she's only trying to get in it for the intimacy. But then romance wins, you know, I should have said spoiler alert. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, but that was definitely by far the most explicit. But they're still good books. Anyway, next question. One of my resolutions is making time for myself. How do you make time for yourselves in between everything you do? You two seem pretty busy. Yeah, schedule it in, I guess. Well, Shane, you taught me this, like, I think probably during COVID, was that you have to schedule time. If you want to do something, you're not going to do it unless you schedule it in and make it a non-negotiable. You mm -hmm. can't schedule something and be like, ah, if I got time, maybe I'll get to that workout. Maybe I'll get to that nail appointment. Maybe I'll get to that curling up in a ball and reading a book. Mm -hmm. You have to schedule that in, even if it sounds stupid to be like one hour reading in bed or one hour, I don't, half hour workout make it like an appointment, an appointment you cannot miss. Otherwise, as a parent, you're not going to prioritize yourself because so many things are just going yeah. to make you feel like you shouldn't. But you have to do that. You have to write it down. You have to do it. It's like scheduling intimacy. We've talked about that so many times on the podcast. Again, I think during COVID that started, writing that on the schedule. Yeah, my friend Mark, uh, who's kind of like a Burt-like figure in my life, much younger, still alive, uh, he always told me if you want something to be done if you want to ask somebody to do something for you make sure you're asking a person who's always busy mm. because busy people will find the time to get something done because they they respect time and they know time is so limited if somebody all they have is time you ask them to do something for you they're going to put it off because they have nothing restricting them from mm. just saying oh i'll do it tomorrow i'll do it tomorrow and i find that so true it's always stuck with me people who have kids are way better with time management because they just cherish their time and they'll make a little chunk to be like, okay, this thing Shane asked me to do, I'm going to do it within this 12 to two weird period I have on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. No, I, you told me that too a little while ago and I've always found that to be true. Even for myself, like I see myself, I'm better with doing better things. With yeah. Yeah. And like, um, better with friendships too. people mm -hmm. who have kids in a way, because then 
like you say you're going to go out on that date, you're going out on that date because you have to put so much arranging into it, getting the babysitter, coordinating with your partner. Shane, I had I had a date that I, before Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, and I wish I could say that was true, but this is like an instance in which it was not, and like broke my heart a little bit. But I was gonna have two people over at the house, yeah, and I was gonna host, and I hadn't gone out grocery shopping yet. I usually do that the day before, but I was gonna go out like in the afternoon. But you knew something could go wrong. Yeah, right? and in the morning, both of them backed out. Yeah. One well, had COVID, the other one made a different appointment, and I was like, they didn't take our friendship meeting as an appointment yeah and that's you got to know uh the people you're dealing with too and also one of the beauties of having children is Mm -hmm. you always have a built-in excuse so you can kind of get out of anything Mm -hmm. but i mean if you yourself actually want to go out you know it's the person without kids when they cancel Mm That's when it really hurts because 100%. that person without kids doesn't know all the hoops you had to jump through to get that. Maybe it was just three hours to the person without kids, but to you, that was a week of planning. 100%. 100%. All the babysitters enough are enough to make mm-hmm. me lose it if that was going to happen. All right, folks, but that is all we have for today. Thanks for spending the new year with us. We're excited to have so many more chats, so many more exciting stuff coming on, planning on getting guests back in here, at least sometimes. Anyway, we would love it if you could go and give us a new year comment, five-star review, anything like that. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening to This Family Tree Podcast, episode 194.